0: Hello, I'm Joan. I'm a Canadian family physician who also works as a restorative medical educator, facilitator, and coach. I create spaces that rehumanize the work of healthcare. I'm creating this podcast to remind myself, as well as anyone else working in a helping profession, that when you are working and caring for your human patients, you are the other human in the room. Hey there, healthcare humans. So I'm recording this right before the end of the year, 2023. You're listening to this in December, 2023, and what a year it has been. Hey, um, I know there's been a lot going on. The system isn't working its best. You might be a little tired. You might be a bit overwhelmed. So I wanted to offer everyone listening a gift, something that might help for 2024 to feel a little bit more spacious, a little bit more under your control, a little bit more in alignment with your body and your body's capacity. You know, all the ideas that I talk about on this podcast, I have earlier this year created a course that gives you the five most important principles that I follow when I think of time planning and scheduling and time management and all those ideas in a human body-centered way. The course is called Restoring Your Time. And for the entire month of December, I am offering it for 50% off. Um, So if you go to the show notes of this episode and use the promo code DEC23, so December 2023, basically, DEC23, you can get 50% off. The code is good until December 31st. So if you want to offer yourself or a friend a holiday present for this year, why not offer the gift of time? Is that too cheesy? I'm so sorry. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I would love for more humans in healthcare to understand the principles of how time really works and how we think about our work and time and what in human stories are embedded within them. And I would just love to share what I have learned and applied to my life with all of you. So check out those show notes, get the 50% off if you buy it before the end of December 2023 and start 2024 a little bit more spacious, a little bit more you centered. All right, now on to the episode. All right, hello there, healthcare humans. Thank you so much for coming back for another episode of the other human in the room. I'm super excited to be meeting for the first time over Zoom, um, an internet celebrity, basically. <gasps> <laughs> uh, not my first TikTok connection, but a wonderful TikTok connection, which I didn't think that would be something that would come out of my mouth like multiple times within a year, but. TikTok is like got it going on with like the doctor scene there. So super excited to meet you, Willow. And I would love if you introduce yourself for our podcast listeners.
1: Well, thank you so much. I never imagined I would be introduced as an internet celebrity. That's hilarious. I am Dr. Willow, um, Dr. Willow Jenkins, for those who know me professionally, and I am a child psychiatrist. I have the same Canadian connection as you. I'm from Canada, in Canada, but I actually live in California now, and I work for the University of California, San Diego. And through an interesting path, yes, I have found myself on TikTok. (laughs) But aside from the social media aspect of what I do, I work in medical leadership. I'm also in medical education. And clinically, I work in the field of child psychiatry called consultation liaison psychiatry. So most of your listeners will know that, but that's psychiatric care for the medically ill.
0: Amazing. Okay. So my first question that I usually like to start off with, because, you know, this is about us being that other human in the room. And in particularly in the kind of work that you do, It could, it's a lot, you know, child psychiatry. So, caring for unwell kids, period, and, you know, mentally as well as maybe medically unwell, like that's a tough population. So, how's it going for you? What's it like for you as a human in healthcare these days?
1: Well, like so many people, it's absolutely a very interesting and challenging time to be in healthcare for all of us. And I think a lot of it obviously relates to some of the pandemic fallout, but it's been a more challenging time. But for me personally, it's been kind of an interesting journey because I started off my career as an attending probably about 10 years ago now, and I was working a ton. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I was working full-time, Plus, so I was incredibly, incredibly busy and it was sustainable only for a short period of time as expected, right? And what happened that really made me decide I needed to kind of reevaluate some of my priorities as I had children and I have two young kids, again, common story, but really I was trying to think like, when was the moment that I realized something needed to change and something needed to give because like so many of us, I really am passionate about my work. I absolutely do love my job, but it was too much. So my daughter was three at the time and she loved playing this game of going to work and she'd pretend to go to work because mom always went to work. And one time we were playing the game and she was kind of huffing, kind of puffing and looking kind of irritated going out the door and it was so funny because in that moment it was so honest and so pure yeah it's my child <laughs> this is what she's seeing and she had no she was doing it for no other reason than I realized oh that's what's going on like I can't hide it it's affecting my kids and my family and I think for so many of us when you see the effect on other people that's when you realize okay things have to change so what happened is I ended up reducing my time and I don't work full time. And I've spoken about this on social media too. I only work 50% effort. I've decreased my time to 50% Mm. and it has led to this amazing change and brought in so many opportunities for my career. And I can speak more about it, but that's kind of I'm in a place now where I'm incredibly happy with my career and my path, but it has taken a few years to get here.
0: Yeah, maybe starting with that cuz I think a lot of folks who listen to this podcast or and just colleagues they there's sort of a must be nice story of when someone has reduced to the 50%. It works for them, it would never work for me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I used to be one and now I am also on the other side of um finding the balance that means you actually love the work you're doing. Um which it sounds like you have, which is so lovely to hear. So what was that process like for you? Did you notice any internal and or external resistance to reducing your clinical time?
1: Yes, absolutely. And I work in an academic institution. So I'm surrounded by colleagues who are very focused on professional achievements. So I'm in an interesting place where I work with people who are very focused on those career paths as well. So I felt initially why am I not able to do it? Why am I finding that, like, I can't do it all? Um, Or sometimes as it happens, as you look at people above you, you know, career-wise or clinically-wise, and you go, actually, that's not what I want.
0: Yes. And
1: that was a moment where I was like, okay, this isn't, this isn't the path that I want to be on. And I did a lot of, I talked to colleagues and I know you're in the coaching business. I, it's really funny. I decided, I was like, well, maybe I should meet with, with a coach and see, like, could they help me with this decision? Because it's absolutely hard. There's so many layers to it. Um, and I laugh because my coaching experience <laughs> was quite funny. The coach, I met with her and I was kind of explaining to her, like, I was at a place where I just needed to take a step back. And what I kept telling myself was and telling other people was like, I don't know what I want to do next, but I know that I'm not in the headspace to be able to make that decision right now. And I need space. So I kept saying this, I feel like I just need space then to allow me to like decompress (laughs) not be in the state of overwhelm and figure out what is my next step but it got misinterpreted a lot that the space meant like I didn't want to do it anymore or that I wanted to not be a physician or I didn't have any aspirations And this one coach I met with I do remember very clearly because she said to me after I kind of tried to explain this to her and she said well I only work with women who want to make a difference and that's not (laughs) where you're at (laughs) Oh know no. Laugh. Um <laughs> and so I don't think we're a good fit. And I laughed. And I don't mean to at all be disparaging because coaching is an amazing, amazing resource. But my experience was definitely one that I felt very misunderstood. And it was a very interesting time because when you're trying to make these decisions, I'm a psychiatrist. Obviously, I love getting other people's input and opinion. And I'm very aware that sometimes how you're feeling isn't how things are from the outside. So I was very much in this place. But Ultimately, I think I knew what I needed to do, and that was just take space. And so I very intentionally cut back without any plan to fill the space. Mm -hmm. And then I've gotten through a few different things, which I can explain more, got into this place now where my space does have more things in it. But there are things that I never knew I wanted to do three, four years ago when I initially realized I needed to take a break.
0: Mm. I love that. I don't love that. Sorry for the that's it's not it funny I, it just sort of speaks to like um knowing nothing about this particular coach it's not about the particular coach but there's something about like if you're going to be someone who makes a difference there's a certain like our commitment related to that or something like you know versus when you just think of who's had big impact on the world some of them are hard workers but some of them it's like you know, one act shifted the course of history, like who can say, right? So So I think that's so interesting. No, it's
1: so true. And I also think sometimes it's like this idea of you have to make a big difference, but we all have these microcosms of our own family. And I'm a child psychiatrist, I work with kids. So I'm like, well, maybe my difference is Mm -hmm. in my microcosm in my environment with the people around me. And that has as much value as somebody who changes legislation you know like these are these are not comparable but we live in this world where it's very much about this external validation like what are your credentials you know what awards did you get especially in medicine and it can be very easy to get sucked into that mindset and taking a step back especially when you're talking to people who are in that mindset can be not as well received as you would think or not as supported
0: yeah oh my gosh I just think it's beautiful it's like you're the, it's not about any one path being the right path it's about everyone finding their way and deciding what kind of impact they're interested in investing their time in and i hear you finding that for yourself and i just love hearing so clearly without knowing what like i just need space that's all you needed to know like you said like that was what was clear coming through i think that's amazing
1: Completely. But it's a, for other people who listen, who maybe are in that space, it's scary because you don't have the next plan. And in medicine, we always know what's happening next or what the next step is. So to be able to take literally space and time. And I had the awareness to know that the mindset I was in, I wasn't going to make the right choice about what plan B was going to be. So Mm. if anybody is listening and has the ability to do that or that resonates, I really encourage people to take advantage of that.
0: Mm, It's like a leap of faith, right? You just trusted Mm -hmm. your future self she'll figure it out. So good. So then what happened next? You took some space.
1: Yes. So I cut back. I mean, I didn't, <laughs> and honestly, my clinical work became more impactful. I had more time. Um, I, I enjoyed the day to day because like I said, I'm very passionate about my work. I love working in mental health. I love being a psychiatrist, my patients, but the work is heavy. And for some of us, I realized, like, clinically, I do better when I'm not seeing high, high volumes. My work is better. And mm-hmm. a lot of people have said to me, oh, like, must be nice to have that luxury. You know, that's kind of the comment. And I think some people don't realize, like, there are obviously financial sacrifices that you make. Yeah. There is no surprise bank account that I have that has allowed me to make this decision. Um, uh, and yeah, I can talk more about that piece. But I think that's always something someone thinks when they hear these stories. Um. But what happened was I ended up doing more media and advocacy work, mm. and of course you've met me through social media and TikTok, but that is not where I started. So in the midst of the pandemic, I received a call from the media team at my hospital saying that they really needed a psychiatrist to speak about a terrible case of a young boy who died of an overdose, and it was in the news at the time and. This was something so foreign to me. I have never been one, um, and people know me are like surprised, like I never was one to put my face out there. <laughs> yeah. I, I am not the person who's always giving the togs or wanting to, um, yeah, be the face of different things. If anything, it's been more the opposite. But because I was in this mindset of like, I need to try some different things and see. And the story was really compelling. And I was like, people do need to know about what's going on. Like, this is very important from a public health standpoint. And so I said, yes. (laughs) And I did this first interview. um, And it was not my expectation. It was um, an amazing experience. It was incredibly well received. The reporters were friendly they want the story to be the best story that it can be um and really put me at ease my fear had been that and some you know we hear like reporters are going to try to trick you they're going to try to get you to say things or they're gonna I don't know paint things in a different way like you have to be so careful and that may be the case for other people talking about different topics but I'm talking about children's mental health and everybody just wants a good educational stories. So from there it just took off and I've been doing traditional media. So I do I talk to reporters, I do local news segments and things have gotten to a place where I actually have a regular segment um on the on the news um here in San Diego which is just absolutely amazing and mind-boggling to me that this is my life. Uh and then with that work I got encouraged to do some social media as well because I wanted to actually reach my patients.
0: Mm-hmm. So how did that, had you even heard heard of TikTok? I feel like I heard about TikTok, like, like I think my teen patients, because mm-hmm. I'm a family physician, so I have some <laughs> teens too, and they probably first told me about TikTok and Snapchat and all the things, you know?
1: Gosh, so yeah, speaking about the social media, I had, you have to kind of make a decision. What platform are yeah. you going to do? What platform are you going to use? And are you ready for it? <laughs> because it is a beast and it is doing it behind the scenes. It's so much more work than I had ever realized and anticipated, but I looked at all the different platforms and I'm a child psychiatrist, and and I wanted to talk, like I said, to my patients, to my teens, to my young people. And through traditional media, I'm already speaking to parents. That's who's consuming the news, who's tuning on the television. But I wasn't reaching my actual patients. And TikTok is the platform that they use and they consume. And they were coming to me, hey, doc, like I saw on TikTok that I might have autism. Can we talk about it? And I'm like, gosh, there's this platform that is full of mental health information and misinformation um, and so I went on to see like who, who's on here what's happening and I met this amazing community of physicians and psychiatrists who are all really trying to educate and combat a lot of the misinformation um, which is very different than I think some people who aren't familiar with social media's perception they think oh doctors on social media they're um, clout chasing they're just putting themselves out there trying to get likes and truthfully it really is not that on the other side it's a way to reach our patients and to provide education
0: so how has it been um being in that space and like has it given you a different insight into what your patients experience I'm curious about that
1: being in the space has been incredibly rewarding yeah I did a video that wasn't one of my most popular videos about meeting a psychiatrist for the first time. And the amount of comments I got that said, oh, I didn't realize that's what it was like, I'm going to go see a psychiatrist. And that amount of impact, just like floored me. That like, because I was able to just show psychiatrists are scary people, you know, like stuff that if we're in the field, we know this, but there's so many misconceptions about psychiatry. So many people have been harmed by psychiatry. I'm very open about that. And so being able to show that psychiatrists do care, we're here to help you. We're not pushing drugs. Just some of these basic messages have really, really encouraged people to get help. And for me, every time I get a message like that, I'm like, oh, this is worth it. This is why I do this. And to answer your question, though, about like, has it impacted the care I give my patients? I mean, I'm always asking them what they're consuming on social media. <laughs> well, what are you viewing? What does your For You page look like? Like what content comes <laughs> up? Um, and being able to have those conversations because over 95, they say 95, 99% of youth are on social media. So it is part of our our youth and children's lives. And so as people who work with kids and teens, we need to be asking them about it because there's so much of what they're doing is on those type of platforms. So even though I certainly don't want youth spending that much time on platforms, and I I always laugh because I do articles like talking about how we need to limit social media exposure. And here I am a physician on it. I know that's where they're at. And so I have to meet them where they're at.
0: Yeah, I I really respect that. It's like, I think for a lot of things, like harm reduction is just an approach that just makes sense and allows for you to meet with any kind of human, like along a continuum, like where they're ready anyway. I am interested in learning. I would love to hear more about how you do approach those conversations with your patients, like both, I guess, social media or other behavior that you're have an awareness, maybe impacting their mental health, but especially with social media, it's such a huge part of their lives. Like, how do you, you know, remain, maintain rapport with them and offer them the opportunity to have insight into whether living <laughs> would be helpful? You know, like, how do those conversations go?
1: You know, it's so interesting because I think teens have more insight than we give them credit for. Mm. And a lot of when you ask and you learn what they're doing, sometimes they'll even let you know like they've already set limits. Like I've had a few teens, you know, yes, I use TikTok. But you know what, I realized Snapchat wasn't the best. So I actually don't use that app anymore. And so learning about their behaviors really gives you insight. And Teens are not dumb <laughs> you know they mm. they know and they know what's harming them and what's harmful but sometimes it's hard to make that step or come up with a plan or there's other reasons they feel tied to continuing on those platforms so really making it individual and asking the same way we ask about any behaviors like what's the positive of this what's the negative of this okay what can we do to maybe make it more positive and with social media as professionals we do need to have awareness a little bit of how some of these platforms work to be able to give reasonable advice right there are limits that can be set there are reminders there are ways to change some of the content that you see it is far from perfect though but um there's certainly ways to help guide youth on how to use it appropriately and i mean adults struggle too let's be honest <laughs> it's easy to get it's easy oh, yeah. to get in. Um, so there's lots of strategies to help but i think not underestimating teens.
0: Mm, i love that i would say i'm like i'm reflecting on my teen patients and especially as the other human holding space, like some, I always like treating them like people because obviously they are people helps. I think one of the big challenges I have for my patients who are adolescents is the dynamic with the parents. And so it might depend on, I guess, like the situations you're in, but like, is that something that you struggle with too? (laughs) Especially parent expectations. And now you're, it's like one human, against two humans if you will you're trying to manage multiple expectations and ideas of even what we're doing here in a room you know
1: yes I laugh because I were as I told you I work with trainees and so I always say like as a child psychiatrist I'm in the work because I like working with adults I work with adults every single day and I work <laughs> with children and I, I actually very much thrive on kind of figuring out how to work in those complex dynamics and situations as an aspect of the job That I like and I step into so I very much enjoy trying to work with parents and children to find a mutual understanding a mutual respect and to help them come to the same page on on problems because I see a child who desperately is wanting their parents love and acceptance and I see a parent who desperately loves their child and they're getting lost in the middle and so being able to help those two very important relationships come together is an incredibly, incredibly valued and privileged thing that I am able to do. And I think if you kind of always go back to the basics and remind myself, like in these difficult situations, this is a parent who does love their child. And this is a child who just wants love and acceptance from their parent. Usually there is a middle ground to be found. But I'm a psychiatrist. I have the benefit of time. And I know for so many other people in healthcare, they don't have that time. And I think that's where the frustration really arises because jobs are not set up to be able to do these hour-long conversations between parents and children and really get into the details. So it leaves a lot of physicians, even pediatricians who don't have the time, with this sense of frustration. And it comes from not being feeling like they're able to do enough or not do, doing what they feel the patient and the family deserves. And that really can leave you with an unsettled feeling.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. It, I, and for that, like, I mean, one thing is just recognizing it's not a you thing. It's like a impossible task for any human to do thing. And then making your choices about whether you extend the time or have to let some of it go. Like that's a bit of certainly what I have to navigate. And I choose to navigate in terms of sometimes booking longer appointments and sometimes saying, I'm not going to pick up every thread that's in this encounter but i'm going to focus in on this one (laughs) um one thing that you i know well you tell me like i've heard psychiatrists get a different level of training about things like transference counter-transference i have noticed through my own self-reflection work one of the the reasons that working with like parents and then teens can be challenging is for ways that i get what you say triggered or I am I am identifying more with often it's the kid and then I'm like, it's hard for me to see the humanity of the parent sometimes in those moments. I am curious how you, you. it sounds like you have found ways of, you know, and you, you dive into that. So like, how does that work for you? How did you work through that? So you have a way to see everyone's humanity because I think we all have our stuff we're bringing to it, you know? And like, so how do you work through that?
1: Yeah. Well, bear with me. I'm going to share share a story. So Mm -hmm. when I was a medical student and I knew I wanted to do psychiatry, I didn't know I wanted to do child initially, but I was doing psychiatry rotations. And I was working with a very experienced older psychiatrist in Nova Scotia of all places. And we saw a family and I saw a teen girl and, you know, medical students were not that old. So it was almost, you know, relatable. And she was just sharing um, kind of the wrongs her mother had done. Mm -hmm. And some of them were incredibly legitimate. Like, know very real very reality based like these were things that objectively were done wrong and so after we met with the patient as you do you meet with a parent and the older psychiatrist kind of gave me the lead like you go for it and i laid into the mom i was like you need to not do this you need to not do this like i can't believe you did this like what's going on and of course the mother was like a gas like who's this person telling me this and the older psychiatrist was very calm kind of let it happen And then Mm -hmm. after the encounter, he looked at me and he said, Willow, do you think that mother's going to bring the patient back to you? And I was like, my aha moment, because I was like, no, of course not. I need to have a relationship with the parent to be able to access the child, no matter how I might think what they're doing is wrong in that moment. And that interaction has stuck with me through all of my training, and that I need to find a way always to find the piece of the parent that I can work with. And obviously in my work, I do work with parents who make mistakes. Um, I do work with parents who have done wrong things, you know, and how do I help them? And one, most parents do love their child. That's usually a universal fact. Unfortunately, not always, but that's usually my common ground. And the other piece is now that I am a parent, I have to be honest, I have a lot more empathy and can understand how people have Got into situations where they haven't done necessarily the right thing, but I do truly believe there's always opportunities for repair and there are very, very few situations where you can say like that's not going to happen, or you can't get can get someone to a place where at least things are. Okay, <laughs> not always the case of two parties aren't willing to come together but um that's sort of that's that's how I do it and it's something I do every day so I wouldn't expect other people to be able to have that level of empathy or compassion for parents in certain situations Um, and I wouldn't want anyone to be hard on themselves if they find themselves being triggered
0: (laughs) no I mean that's the thing is like I think it's important to talk about that that at least for me is the reason when I struggle it is that it's because I'm I'm identifying whether it's from my personal history or just like knowing about the world and being like ah like and like for your that past self who wanted to intervene like that makes sense we were like hey maybe if we just tell the parent then they will change their behavior but it's missing the ingredient of humans do things for a reason (laughs) and one of the least effective ways to allow for behavior change and insight is to tell someone what they're doing is wrong so I'm like I've been your past self and I I totally understand that's such wise advice to be like how to partner with how do you partner with like especially say in cases where you're like ah I'm not sure if love is here or you know how do you well maybe like do you notice your own emotional reactions in those rooms and how do you kind of practically manage them so that you can hold that space for all parties involved?
1: Yeah, such a good question. I mean, some of it is hard to put into words, but I think the biggest thing is, like I mentioned, I don't do it every day. And yeah. I have a wonderful and rich life outside of medicine that I can only have in for me because I don't work full time. So I have amazing friends. I have a supportive family. I get to do wonderful things with my children. And that allows me the space to kind of hold some of these difficult emotions. And if I'm being honest, if I was doing it full time, I don't know that I would be able to do it as effectively as I'm doing now. And I know that's not the answer everybody wants to hear, (laughs) but it's my truth. And it's what I know works for me. And for somebody else, it could be very different. We are all very individual. Um, I absolutely have a tendency to get invested in cases. I was, you know, that resident who would lose sleep. I don't lose sleep over cases anymore, but that doesn't mean I'm still not affected. Um, And it's very, very unique to each situation, but I always go back to like, what is in the best for my patient? And I'm very invested in my patients and having, for most of them, figuring out a way to work with their parents is in their best interest. And so that's kind of what I always root myself on is like, I need to make this work for them. This is a relationship they're going to have for their whole life. And sometimes too, we'll even say like, gosh, that interaction with a parent was really difficult. But imagine if that was 24 hours a day. Like I'm the professional here too, right? Like parents usually are on their best behavior. And if I'm finding the interaction challenging, how is that impacting the child? And so usually those type of kind of tricks of reframing can really Mm -hmm. help find that empathy in the situation. Um, And truly, truly, the majority of parents are reasonable people. They may have made mistakes. I mean, I make mistakes. I'm a parent. (laughs) It's part of the job, right? And some of us have really, really difficult situations where we've gotten, made decisions and made Mm situations, you know, and gotten to situations that um, are just, are just with honestly without fault. And so I always look for that common ground on that piece. And it's been incredibly rare that I haven't been able to find it. Yeah. I
0: just love hearing that. I think that's like, it's really encouraging to know that that strategy is effective for you. You know what I mean? And so, and like you say, the other pieces of if those listening struggled with that one of the options is like yeah what kind of space can you create whether it's literal time or even pausing between or pacing out you know how often you see certain people I like to think about like how you can look for space in many ways including the you know the big cutting down work time days but there are smaller versions of creating space that actually are available to anyone but knowing that that's an effective way to bring empathy and compassion back to yourself totally makes sense you know biologically right
1: no completely and i think it's it is true like it's so individual what each situation needs is actually why originally the idea of seeking a coach was really helpful because I was like, oh, I could get somebody objective to help me figure out what I what my individual need is. Because you can listen to as many of these, you know, (laughs) wellness podcasts and hear different tips, but there's nothing like somebody who actually knows your situation, knows your style, knows what you're struggling with, giving you more individual guidance. I mean, it's very similar as a psychiatrist, right? You could listen to a mental health podcast about depression. Um, and you may learn some incredibly valuable tips and it may be incredibly valuable to you, but it's not the same as sitting with somebody one-on-one
0: yeah absolutely um so going back to your career journey I'm curious so like now where you're at you're feeling good how did you know how much of everything to do like what are sort of your guideposts that help you know the amount and the quality of what works best for you
1: It's a work in progress, Joan. Um, Mm -hmm. It varies, it really depends. And sometimes the balance seems perfect and other times something happens and I have more time gets thrown into something and I realize, gosh, (laughs) everything's a little bit off kilter. So it's constantly something that's changing um, and evolving. But I like that I have enough built in that there is some flexibility that I'm not got every hour scheduled um, where I don't have ability to flex when some other something is calling my time, whether that be a job commitment, um, whether that be my, you know a last minute children's event at one of my children's schools and I go, oh, I'd really love to be there um, I'm in a place where my schedule has flexibility that I'm able to make that happen so that's probably one of the reasons that I'm successful. Um, the other piece is, I joke, I joke a little bit because the social media does take up a fair bit of time. Um, I do have some people who will sometimes help me a little bit with it, but I laugh because that brings an absolutely no income and I don't know that a lot of people know that (laughs) Um, it's different for different people in different spaces but for most of us in healthcare we're not going to take um, financial support from unscrupulous places and so with that um, you're not making money doing it you know occasionally you get sent maybe a nice book or something but you're not making money Um, and even I'm I'm a micro creator in the grand scheme of things but I've even reached out to colleagues who are you know have millions of uh, followers and I've just asked them like I'm just curious like has this worked out financially? And it isn't. It isn't how you make money. But I kind of view it as like a way that I'm giving back and like spreading knowledge. And so I spend a fair bit of time working on that piece. Um, But it's so even though it's not the financial support, um, it brings some of that fulfillment and some of that like encouragement to do some of the other things and always kind of grounds me and reminds me, oh, why I'm doing the work that I'm doing. So... The balance can be in different ways, I guess, is what I'm trying to say.
0: Yeah. I I like to think of it as like, how is each like experience or task paying you? And so some of the ways it's nice is when it pays you money, but also does it pay you in like creativity, inspiration, pleasure, connection? Like there are other currencies that say we are only paid in money, but have no pleasure, no energy, like nothing about what we do gives us any of those you can make a billion dollars and you probably are not going to feel satisfied. Right. So having a mix makes sense to me.
1: Yeah. And it is hard to do. I mean, I have a lot of um, empathy for people in other medical professions where they have these limits of you need to do this certain amount of time to keep operating time. And there's these, you know, careers that some of us have where it makes it very difficult to do something like I've been able to do of having my hands in sort of all these different pots and making it work. So I just want to recognize that while I'm talking, that I know that it's not always realistic yeah. for some people. And I do really feel for people who don't have that ability.
0: Like imagine that the system as a whole recognize this, like, mm-hmm. and we're like, oh, we want each human who's working in our healthcare system to be as lit up and resource as we can. Cause then we know they're doing their best work, which then globally patients are more deeply cared for and so then they actually built in that flexibility
1: oh that would be the dream yeah
0: that is the dream (laughs) that is the dream dream. (laughs) if anyone's listening in any kind of system leadership (laughs) you listen to us but I just it's sort of it's math in a different way but it's math that makes more sense to me at this point where you're like yeah why would you push someone to work beyond their capacity why do you want them to do less quality less nourishing work is that appealing to anyone
1: yeah it's appealing to the people who have the bank account um and we know that unfortunately so there's a lot of bigger bigger picture issues in healthcare right now but I think I love that you're bringing it back to the humans and I think for so many of us as individuals there are ways to make the system work for us it's not easy none of it is easy but there usually is a way to make things a little bit more sustainable and work because our work can be really, really amazing. And Ah. working with patients is such a privilege. And, um, you know, every day I feel so lucky that I was able to get into this type of a career, but I know that if I'd kept at the pace that I had been at um, before my daughter huffed and puffed out that door, uh, (laughs) I may have made a different choice.
0: Yeah, that's, that's the whole thing. And the thing to name is like you by doing this are doing a micro shift of the healthcare system, like, and me doing it, like this is a little bit how it changes, even in that learners who work with you, colleagues are like, she's got something going on over there. I I, I actually recognize that that's a possibility, right? Like that visibility thing. I think that's so important. So I just want to like name that as like part of your impact it it helped you and that also helped other people
1: no completely right. and that's why I'm open and speak about it and I talk a lot about uh why I chose to not work full time and just recognizing you know some of the comments that you get, right and really yeah. confronting them and what people who aren't informed about your situation assume
0: yeah and actually that brings me back to you you'd said you were open um that one of the things is like, well, how do you work financially? And like you're saying, TikTok's not bringing in the dollars and you don't (laughs) have the secret bank account. So how did you do that math for yourself to understand that working part-time was okay financially or worth it, you know?
1: Yeah. So it required creativity um and I'm very open about it I mean psychiatry is not one of the most highest paid medical specialties and I actually think it's really important that we talk about money and finances yeah. and be transparent about it because it is the barrier for a lot of people taking um a step in a different way and taking a little bit of a leap so I own two vacation rental properties well cool. and that is not that was not without saving I like I said there's no secret I have a normal physician salary (laughs) and so I made it a priority and with that I have the financial ability to step back without it seeming um taking a big hit on my family of course we do not live beyond our means (laughs) um You know but i do live in a very high cost of living area i live in san diego which just got named the highest cost of living city in the united states so there are certain sacrifices that get made when you live in a situation you know live in a setting my children go to public school you know there's just like some examples to give but i had some foresight to plan and to get into have a different income stream than medicine yeah um yeah. And it's not as hard as it sounds, (laughs) but that is, that is a little bit of the secret as to how I am able to do this. Because like I say, there is no, there's no secret um, bank account. There's nothing else that is (laughs) funding me to do this. Um, But I want to share and be transparent to let people know that it is possible. And it doesn't always mean, oh, you can't go on trips anymore, or you're not going to be able to eat out, which is, I think what a lot of people do feel. Um, So yeah, that's how I'm doing it. I love and it. I'll, I'll, you'll laugh at this though, because being a vacation rental owner is <laughs> not glitz and glam. I was absolutely my cleaner the other day. So I think sometimes when people see behind the scenes of what your actual day-to-day is, they do get surprised. I was down there scrubbing tiles. So I love it. You know, it always, <laughs> it's that's always-
0: so good because that's like, okay. Cause especially actually since entering the coaching world, real estate investments come up a lot past and there's like there's actually quite a bit of like um there's like podcasts and people like about like passive income streams for anybody but because I think physicians have money I see ones that are specific for physicians. Mm -hmm. And at least part of when people are talking about real estate, they're talking about this, right? Like vacation rental properties. I actually haven't fully figured it out. So I'm just like getting your (laughs) take on it. That's like a bit of what they say is one of the ways you can make but I'm putting it in quotes passive. The thing that I have learned is like, yes, there's ways that it it's bringing in more income, but you also are having to do some amount of work for it.
1: Yeah. You might be scrubbing the toilet. Um, <laughs> no, it, it is. And I think with anything with the financial piece, I think it's always right to be, um, do your due diligence and yeah. really understand what's right for you. I live in a place where it is um a di- like i live in california in san diego by the beach yeah people want to be vacation right <laughs> yeah, totally. so um it's a different it's a different climate and a different situation and something that there's an element of luck in some mm-hmm. of this but it is what works for me and there are other ways to do things if you want to supplement income there's something more passive there are people who are amazing at investing and mm-hmm they're doing it that way. And I wish my brain would work better that way, or maybe that's the next thing that I um, learned more about, but there's, there's so many different ways to do it. And some of it isn't as hard as we think, but it's kind of what I meant about like space to even allow yourself to learn about it. Right. Like when I first started this, there was no way I could take on learning about real estate and how to run a vacation rental while I was working the job and the hours I was working at. I had no time for that. I had no energy for that. And honestly, no desire. I wasn't in a mind a mindset of wanting to learn more. I was just trying to make sure I knew enough about my patients and focused on that. So part of this is what happens when you do give yourself that time um, to be able to learn more things. I don't know.
0: Even just like a sabbatical. I just, I, I love this. I feel like this is going to be like this the title is going to be like making space. Cause I, I do think I know there are situations where maybe, I don't know, is there a situation where even like one hour less or one half day less is completely impossible? I think there's often a way. There's 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 ways to be creative. And so even if folks aren't ready to cut back half time, could they build in more space? Because when you're in survival mode, when you, like you said at the beginning, you're working beyond your capacity, there's no room to think creatively. You're you're simply reacting to your life and you're not going to be able to make choices that actually, you don't even know what you want because you're just reacting.
1: Right? No, com- completely. I will share, I will share one of my parenting secrets. Cause I think actually now talking about it, it might be helpful for people. Yes. So I actually really encourage people to schedule down days. And mm-hmm. so we schedule ourselves, right? And we schedule like activities and when you have kids, that's calendar gets Full. wild yeah and so I actually tell people what one of my secrets is I block days and schedule as important as birthday parties and we call them our down days and sometimes that means that like I'm, I'm lucky I do have a supportive partner so sometimes that means I'm having a down day to myself and then that means he's having a down day to himself sometimes it means we're just having a family down day with no activities so I think too sometimes it is about like what are you prioritizing and if you prioritize for yourself like gosh, this is resonating with me, I do need some space, then schedule it as important as <laughs> that yeah. other commitment. I mean, it's the same how people talk about exercise, which is something that I'm not good at doing. But, you know, if you do schedule these kind of down times or down days, as I've, as as I've kind of <laughs> coined in okay. our calendar, in our family lexicon, um, that can be a way to find those little moments. So that might be an idea.
0: Yeah, just as a start, just to see what happens, right? And that nobody... You know, nothing blows up in your life. It's just like we often all could uh we could use more space in our lives. I love that. Just as like an overall message. Oh. Well, I I can't believe the time has flown so fast. I feel like we got to talk about most of the things I was hoping to talk about. So thanks for like journeying with me. I was like, I want to ask for some clinical questions and some TikTok questions and some like career questions. So I feel like we've like covered the gamut. That was fun. Yeah.
1: Um,
0: I guess. Uh as we close, so knowing folks that are listening, you know, I know some are considering going into healthcare and met, most are in healthcare already, various stages of career, burnout, all that. But like, what are some things that you want to offer to those listening, like advice or support or like, what would you want them to know or hear from you?
1: Oh, that's such a good question. I think the biggest thing is knowing that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that's something that comes through all of the work that I do is that sometimes we feel that we are alone in our struggles. We feel lonely in the crowded room. We feel misunderstood. And I think I want everybody listening to know that they're not alone. Um, Mm -hmm. And there are people like yourself, there are people that are like me that are here to listen and to help and to understand and to please reach out, to please talk about it, to please share your experiences. Yeah. That that's the message. We're Hmm. in this together.
0: (laughs) I love it. And amen. Truly. That's like, it's one of the most dangerous ideas, isn't it? I mean, and whether we're talking about a teen or a healthcare worker or a parent, like, If you think you're the only one with this shameful secret, that is really what can honestly be life-threatening and and just make your world so small. And it's not the case. Like There's no unique problem, actually. We are all marred in unique and yet similar ways, aren't we?
1: Yeah. It's so true. And I think it's really important if you start being vulnerable and you start sharing part of your story it really encourages other people that it's okay to do the same. And by no means am I suggesting that I've shared everything in this hour with you, um, but to keep talking and to sharing, and that is a huge impact and yeah. And obviously like I should give a plug to. please know there are professional supports and there are so many physicians and so many people in healthcare that are receiving professional support. And there is this fear of listing my, even within our own profession that oh, you're lesser than or you're weaker, but um, I really, really need it to go away because you are not alone. And as a psychiatrist being on the other side, like I see that. And of course I can't, you know, <laughs> verbalize it, but sometimes it's, um, it's so important for people to know that um, please, please get professional help if you feel you need it.
0: Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Willow, for your time. So if people want to find you um in your like public facing work where would they find you
1: um well if you are as hip and cool as I am and you're on tiktok you can find (laughs) me on tiktok um otherwise I am on Instagram it's a little bit of a smaller platform over there but um it's just my name Dr Willow Jenkins so you can find me basically on social media um I have a website too if you want to do an old school send me an email I'm very open to communication though so if anybody listening does want to reach out does want to collaborate does just want to chat um send me a message I love hearing from everybody
0: so good thank you so much and uh yeah. So for those listening, definitely check Willow out. Um, and uh, yeah, until next time, I think the our invitation to you is like, what's one small way you can add some space into your week? Because it will reward you. All right. Absolutely. Talk to you next time. Hey. I would love to take this work deeper with you. Visit joanchanmd.com today and discover my growing menu of options for restorative medical education to suit your learning needs. I offer one-on-one coaching, customized workshops, and self-study courses that allow you to connect not only with my work on a deeper level, but also with other healthcare humans just like you. So if you want to start humanizing your work and healthcare to a deeper level and do it in community with others please visit joanchanmd.com and find those options and what fits you and your life today